Welcome to the Westside Investors Network. Win your community of investing knowledge for growth. This is the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast for real estate professionals by real estate professionals. This show is focused on the next step in your career, investing. Thank you for listening. And please, if you like our content, rate us on your podcast provider. Just a quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are for educational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any shares or securities, make or consider any investments or take any other action. And now, AJ and Chris Shepard. Our guest today is the owner of Hint Investments and is also a co-GP and passive investor in multifamily deals. She currently lives in Costa Rica with her family and her life in the tropics is largely supported by her passive income from real estate investing. She will share with us how to live a life of passive income with freedom of location and independence and their latest project of a hotel conversion to multifamily units. Let's welcome Becca Hint. All right. Today, we've got Becca Hint with us. Becca lives in Costa Rica and is supported strictly on her passive income from real estate investing. I'm very excited to talk to Becca today. Becca, will you just kind of give us a little bit of rundown on yourself before we get started? You bet, AJ. Thank you so much for having me on your show, you and Chris. I really appreciate it. I'm delighted to be here. My husband and I were medical device reps from the San Francisco Bay Area that during the pandemic, we just decided to leave it all behind. We're the leave it all behind family. We're the white collar workers, part of the great resignation that decided to give our employers the adios and put our income on autopilot and move overseas. And we live in a in Nosara, Costa Rica. This is a boutique surf and yoga hub on the Pacific coast of Costa Rica. And it's one of the blue zones of the world. Are you familiar with the blue zones? No. What's a blue zone? Oh, yeah. There are six of them in the world. And Nosara, Costa Rica is one of them. Okinawa, Japan, Sardinia, Sicily, and a few others. And these are places where people live to a very old age, a high concentration of centenarians, people that live beyond 100 years old, in very good health. And it's because of the practices of these places, the healthy lifestyle, the food they eat, the things they do their family that surrounds them. So go ahead. AJ. I know you both want to hear about <laughs> oh, that, I, right? I'm, I'm just curious, like what, how, how do you get classified as a blue zone or like what entails that? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. There are several parameters. There's many books on it. There's movies on it. There's specials that run on the news on it. They look at a lot of key things. One is the, it starts with the general age of the people and the general health that they're in. So you'll meet people 106 years years old here, 110 years old, wow. walking around the streets, the men with machetes hanging from their sides, because that's nobody does leaf blowers here, or a lot of the men just carry machetes, even if you're 100 years old, and you're out there, you know, whacking the jungle, getting the weeds down around the crops that they grow. The diet's very basic, and this is what you'll find in a lot of blue zones as well. Very basic, natural, whole foods diet, not a lot of processed foods. In the case of Costa Rica, it's beans rice, corn tortillas, and plantains. Very little processed food and even their drinks. Oftentimes they'll just mix up some watermelon in a blender. They call them batidos. So they'll just mix up some fruit in a blender with water and that's the drink. Yeah, and as a result, it's very healthy lifestyle in the biome here. In this particular place, the biome, everything grows. So 
you know, your hair grows, your nail grow in like twice the speed as that it would like back in California. So I think that contributes to it also. Well, that's amazing. Cellular growth. Yeah, I'm, I'm, pretty, very, I'm very curious awesome. to hear, hear more of how real estate's <laughs> allowed you to, you know, move to one of these blue zones and really kind of allowed you, like even during the pandemic. Well, oh, yeah. My gosh. Let me just chime in real quick. So okay. you just got done surfing and now you are podcasting from your favorite cafe with you can hear the waves and the people laughing on the beach behind you. This might be a first for the West Side Investors Network podcast, but hopefully not the last. Oh, <laughs> hopefully not the last. Oh, yeah. And your podcast editor will probably kill me with the background noise. But yes, no need for a virtual background here. The beach is right <laughs> behind me. We go surfing in the morning. My husband and I are trying to keep up with our kids who are fifth and sixth grade. And they're taking surf lessons and we're taking wipeout lessons. So it's turning out, but mm. we're getting out there. <laughs> That's pretty and, amazing. Uh, it's an amazing way to start the day. We surf every day. The, uh, my husband goes to yoga. There's a big yoga retreat place, lots of yoga and surf retreats here. He does yoga in the morning. We have our little smoothie and then we get on with our day. And my day consists of passive income investing for real estate to keep this going. We are here, guys, supported by 80% on passive income from real estate investing. I love this business and I feel like this is the key to financial freedom, location independence for everyone who figures out how to do this or aligns themselves with people that know how to do it, like you guys. Fun. Well, let's start from the beginning. How did you find out about it and how did you kind of like get started in passive investing? Yeah, you bet. I've been in this business about 18 years. So I, I stepped out of it for a short while, but as I have two kids, 18 months apart, the Irish twins, so they were taking a lot of my attention. But yeah, I started out house hacking when I was single and in med device sales and a lot of disposable income in a tax massacre situation. I bought a duplex in San Francisco. And I feel there's three buckets to investing. And one of these buckets is when you're young and single and or even a, just a family starting out, it's good to have a house hack type scenario. And this is what my San Francisco building is, is that you live in one unit, you renovate the other unit, then flop and do a light value add in it. In my case, it was a heavy value add building. But in these expensive markets like your San Francisco, your Chicago and New York, these are Rip Van Winkle investments. You could just set it and forget it. You can just sit on these things, you know, fall asleep for a decade and you make a million bucks. So it's nice to have one of those in your bucket. And then your second bucket is passive income and a cash flow stream like multifamily investing can give you and the tax advantages of that. And I have several of those. I have about 450 units I'm passively invested in. And those are multifamily buildings throughout Texas. And then third, the third bucket is I think you, I feel like you want some, you know, quick money, like some flips, single family flips, or there's deals I'm looking at here in Costa Rica that are double your money deals in 18 months. You buy a lot for 400, put 400 to buy a house and you sell it for one, four in 18 months. And you can take the money from those and put those in passive income investments. And that checks three bucket lists and it keeps your money moving. You have the velocity of money with those quick flips. You have your set it and forget it, just kind of appreciation plays like a San Francisco or New York. And then you have your cash flow plays with your tax advantages of multifamily investing. 
Okay. I love your idea of buckets. And as well, I haven't heard of a Rip Van Winkle investment before, which is a great <laughs> term. And I've so, coined that phrase. Thank you. <laughs> that is a great one. And so is that house hack, your Rip Van Winkle, was that your first foray into real estate investing? It was. It was. And this is a great place to start for people just trying to you know, get into the real estate world. It was my first house hack, duplex in San Francisco. The only one that bid on it was myself and a contractor, which like that should have been a sign right there. Like this might not end well, but <laughs> <laughs> it ended okay. <laughs> a lot learned there. You know, that was a building where San Francisco, the play there is condo converting. So you want to subdivide the units and it somewhat protects you from rent control if done in a certain way. That also, it's a Victorian building, so I lifted up the building and put a garage down below. It's a circa oh. 1900s building. And in San Francisco, the value play there is you can charge another $500 for rent and just adding parking. And wow. as that was an old, you know, circa 1900, we blew out the backside because it was tilting. This is the thing with San Francisco buildings. They're all a little, you know, this building was actually two inches difference from right to the left because of all the earthquakes and how old it was. So if you wanted to hang a picture straight on the wall, you actually have to hang it two inches off center for it to look straight since the building <laughs> was two inches tilted to the right. <laughs> Don't mind that. So, I mean, this seems so, like a pretty, like it was a pretty daunting project. You described it as it was you and a contractor who were the only ones who were really willing to take on this value add and the projects you described too sound like they're lengthy in time so it sounds like you must have lived in it for some time is that kind of and did those projects over yeah, a, a long period yep exactly i lived in one unit while well, we did all the renovations downstairs like kitchen floors baths and then i just moved to the upper unit and we did the same thing there and then when it came to the big part of the renovation you know, six months down the road and lifting the building up, then I moved out. Everybody moved out. <laughs> Everybody moved out. Yeah, fortunately, yeah. the lease was up downstairs. Everyone moved out. But, you know, it's kind of tough on the front end. But when you're young and I was a sales rep traveling most of the time anyway. And then once it's done, it's done. Then it's just to set it and forget it and move on to the next. My only regret there is I didn't do more of those. I feel like when I was single, I probably or didn't have a family in tow, I probably should have done another maybe quad. Had I got a quad in the city, I'd be at the 100% passive income covered rather than 80% right now. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, Chris and I have always described, you know, if we had our druthers and could do it over again, instead of starting with single family, we would have start with fourplexes. You know, the yes. leverage, the amount of money that you get and the qualifying income from the rents is pretty amazing. But that yes. sounds like a great start and, you know, great advice for anyone that's trying to get into real estate is, you know, kind of starting with one of those smaller multifamily units. But what I'm curious about is how did you come to make the decision to get to Costa Rica? Like, can you kind of tell us and our listeners, like, at what point you felt like enough was enough and like, we're gone, we're getting out of here and going to go live the Pura Vida, right? <laughs> 
Very good. I'm impressed you know that. The Pura Vida life. Have you been to Costa Rica? I have. I Pura have been Vida. Just, maybe. Both of us have been to Costa Rica. So. <laughs> really? Only someone that's been to Costa Rica would know that. I'm impressed. <laughs> Are you guys surfers by chance? I mean, I wouldn't call myself a surfer, but I've certainly tried. I can surf behind a boat for sure. <laughs> we, yeah. we both can stand on a board. I don't know about catching waves. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. All you need to do is move overseas for a year and you'll have it down. Mm. Yeah, in respect to your question, you know, in the pandemic, we were just facing everything at home was a minimized version of life we knew. And, you know, the school with the kids doing Zoom school and all the sports activities canceled or minimized. And I said to my husband, what what if we just went somewhere that it wasn't a minimized version of what we knew? What if it was all new? So whatever version we landed in there, like in Costa Rica, we wouldn't know it any other way. So it wouldn't be a minimized version. And the beauty of a new experience and instilling a sense of adventure in our children, I feel is very important. The ability to know that they don't need to slog along in a W-2 job with business as usual and stay in the same place. They can do this. They can move. It's not as hard as you think. There's growing pains for sure. It's the expat journey. The first three to six months is a little rough, but it smooths out from there and you find your people. So that I wanted to instill in them. Additionally, we've been working on Spanish since they were in kindergarten because it's imperative for these kids to have a second language. You know, the United States, by the time my kids are 30, which is, uh, you know, 20 years from now, the majority language in the United States will be Spanish. As of right now, 14 states have turned to the majority of the population speak Spanish over English. 14 states now in the U.S. And at the 20-year mark, all of them will have turned. It's not to say they won't speak English, of course, but it will be imperative for this generation of children to be bilingual, both to be international citizens and be competitive in the workspace. So those were some of the reasons. And then we just, you know, the steps in this is we backed up the financials. I said, honey, you know, I've been looking on Airbnb. You know how much we could rent this house for? Marin County, just over the Golden Gate Bridge in in the Bay Area. And what you had is a lot of people dying to get out of the city. So the rents in the surrounding suburbs just shot up because they wanted outdoor space. And I said, you know, we could we could rent this place out for X amount per day and we could go rent a place in Costa Rica and live on the beach and surf and do yoga every day for X amount a day. You know, and we can live on the rest. And then we we were okay. so that's the single family home. Well, that equation worked out nice. And then we looked at our Rip Van Winkle investment in San Francisco, and that's kicking off passive income, doing what it it needs. It's not a home run by any means. That's a big equity play. So that kicked off some. And we have the passive income investments in Texas. So kind of stitch that together. And then our active investment right now is my team and I were doing a hotel conversion in Arizona, and we're taking 100 unit quality in motel and taking it down to 65 units multifamily. It's a deep value add and active play but as far as bringing all this together it's not as hard as you would think you just stitch together all your potential sources of passive income and see what that looks like thus including your primary residence something to think about that people don't really realize is the tax advantages of renting your primary residence do you know your repairs are deductible up until about a year before you leave on your journey 
of your home. So ladies, you want a kitchen remodel? Here's your ticket. You can remodel your kitchen. You can remodel your bathroom. And all of this is tax deductible under the preparation of getting your home ready to rent. So then also your trips back home to come visit your investment, quotation marks, because your single, your primary residence is not your primary residence anymore. It's an investment. So all of those trips are paid for as well, tax deductible. There's tremendous tax advantages to doing this. Very that is another big factor for us. Awesome. Uh-huh. That's well, one thing I don't think AJ and I have looked at is turning our primary home into an investment. We're pretty familiar mm-hmm. with the tax advantages of being an investor, a real estate investor, and professional uh-huh. real estate investor. That status is pretty incredible, even just for one spouse. It's actually kind of cool if you have one spouse who has a very good W-2 job, and then you've got a real estate investor because any business losses on the real estate side can deduct from the W-2 taxes that are paid. So Absolutely. Pretty, that's exactly what neat. we did too. The, yeah, yeah. And that's exactly what we did as my husband held the, you know, the W-2 job and moved up in healthcare tech. Then I stayed home and did the professional real estate investor status, allowing us to deduct all those passive income losses against his income. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm curious. I'm, I'm curious to understand. You said a couple things that I want to dive a little bit deeper into, but you've said you've got hundreds of units that you're passively involved in in Texas or something. Like, can you tell us like how you came across? I'm assuming that's within syndication or some sort of passive mechanism, maybe yeah. joint venture, but like how you came across that, how you researched it. Cause I know some of our listeners maybe haven't taken that step yet, and that might be a good next step for some people that you know maybe don't have the time to devote to a duplex or a fourplex and be actively involved. Yeah, yeah. And passive income is really where we all want to arrive at, right? Yeah. I mean, doesn't everybody want yeah. to sit back on the beach and do absolutely nothing? <laughs> exactly what you're doing right now? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> passive income is the ultimate goal. And you have to be active in some capacity to get there at first, whether that be in a W-2 job or being, you know, active in the real estate world as syndicators. But yeah, so I had found those passive income investments because I'm in touch with a lot of operators, actual sponsors on the ground in those markets that run these deals. And so what I actually do is I bring my money in addition to my investor money and we seek out the best deals in the rising markets from the best operators. And I love this model because it's no longer Becca out there, you know, in Dallas, Texas, trying to forge around and finding the best property and me running the property and managing the contractors and all this, in which I think there's people that could do so much better than me. With a model as a co-GP model is essentially what I do. And I can choose the operators, choose the markets, diversify my investors' money and my money. And in that way, that's how I put my own money into these passive income investments as well. One of them's in my self-directed IRA, in fact, using my self-directed IRA for these multifamily investments. And now here's a word from our sponsor. Get things done while you're on the move. Learn more about working with a virtual assistant through off-site professionals. It's a great way to get all the things done that you need to get done, have freedom in your time, and streamline your life 
by automating your business. Stop spending time on the tasks that you can delegate and start spending more time on your superpower. Call us today at 503-446-3177 or visit our website at offsiteprofessionals.com. So you guys built up your IRAs and turned them into 401ks or self-directed IRAs. That's another pretty awesome tax advantage. But I guess one of the things with that is, is you lose out on the tax benefits of those syndications. You do. You do. Yeah. So. Yep. yep. That was my first venture into passive income investing. That's very astute of you to tune into that because it's true. Yeah. Because how can you, your IRA is its own entity. So those tax advantages have to stay within that entity essentially. You know, doing that again, if I was to go back 10 years in time, I probably wouldn't do a self-directed IRA because of those tax benefits. I would probably take that IRA money and put it into a solo 401k and do quick flips in international markets. Like you could put your money into a solo 401k and then buy property in Costa Rica, build and then sell. And I would keep that money moving at places where, yeah, you know, not so much of the tax advantage game. It's more of a velocity of money game. That's how I would probably play that card again and then put our earned income into passive income, multifamily investments, cash flowing with the big tax advantages that go with it. You know, I'm sure your listeners know about these tax advantages, but basically the government puts forth a compensation program just as sales reps have a compensation program. And that compensation program are for things that they don't do well. Things like providing housing and farming and gas and oil drilling. And the astute investor follows the compensation program of the government. And behind those doors are tremendous tax advantages. And the asset we choose within that is multifamily real estate. Yeah. So, AJ, I think you're going to ask more about the syndications. Do you want to kind of dive into that a little more? Yeah, I mean, I I know that, Becca, you said that you know these operators. And I think that there's, you know, Chris and I are operators ourselves. Uh I think that some of our listeners, you know, if they don't want to invest with us, they maybe want to invest with some other people. And like, I guess I'm just kind of curious, like, how do you go about vetting the operators that you work with and maybe finding them too? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Well, it's a lot of relationships. You know, we have to know them for you know many months beforehand. We like to see that they have proven exits in their markets. We like to talk to, you know, at least one or two of their investors. And when you're around these multifamily meetings long enough, you hear who's paying out and who isn't, what deals are going well, what deals are not going well. And we all expect for things to eventually at some point, you know, run into snags. And we understand that, but what's the communication when that happens? And we would like to be communicated with more quickly when things are going wrong. Those are some of the, just some of the factors we look at. And our co-GP strategy, guys, is we also bring in a big chunk of money. So we bring in money in chunks of a million dollars. And in that way, we have a small seat at the GP, not because we want to tell people what to do, because we're partnering up with guys like you guys that know what you're doing. We, you know, we just get in your way, but it's important for us to have a seat at the GP table to follow the business plan for the protection of our investors. Interesting. Can you 
kind of break down the co-GP a little bit more in terms of, you know, having a seat at the table, having a say, you know, as far as what exactly does your co-GP model look like? Yeah, you bet. Well, for our investors on the front end, it looks like a vetting service for them. This might be the subject of another podcast, but I did have one, my very first passive investment. <laughs> we could go on and on, and I know you only have 30 minutes, but my first passive investment deal did not go well. In fact, it was a complete train wreck. Had I had somebody like me vetting the operators for me, looking at the deal, looking at, are the rent bumps realistic? Are they estimating these rent bumps at the highest comparable in the market and do the square footage of their units match that highest comparable of the rent bumps is the area in the path of progress are the gps do they have proven exits and investors that are happy so on the front end the vetting process i think is a huge value to our investors there's so many things with this that you really want to drill down on then on the terms part, you know, we've looked at some deals that are arbitrage deals in which we're able to give better returns for our investors. And you come in at, we looked at a deal last week we were going to join, for example, that was 9% cash on cash. And if you came in with a million bucks, you get 9% cash on cash. If you came in with 50, 50,000, then you get seven. Well, what if we came in as a group investment it's kind of a buying group, buying a block like a wholesale to resale, and we buy that million-dollar chunk and pass that savings on to our investors. That's another way. Yeah. And then as far as being at the table at the GP, that's imperative. You know, me and my first passive investment gone bad, here I was, little old me out there with my IRA, and things are going sideways, and there's nobody really to represent my interests. So... It's nice to be in there with somebody who has a seat at the GP table as a co-GP. I think it protects everybody that way. It's really a kind of a concierge, a, a boutique investing service, I suppose. Is awesome. Better way oh, to put it. it sounds very, very good. And it sounds like it provides a great value to the people that you're investing with as well. I kind of want to ask a little bit more, well, not a little bit more, but again about, you said you were converting a hotel in Arizona. Can you yeah. share with us a little bit more about what that project is and how it's working and what's going on? Absolutely. These are such fun deals. I love these hotel conversions. They're a lot of fun. Yeah. So what this is, is we found this at the beginning of the pandemic. And as you guys probably heard in the pandemic, it was the hotel apocalypse, so it was these smaller, mm -hmm. <laughs> it was these smaller hotels just really struggling. You're like quality in, your days in. You know these are run by mom and pops, and this area was hemorrhaging even before the pandemic because Airbnb has been giving them a run for their money. So when everybody had to stay home and couldn't travel, they just couldn't hold on. Meanwhile, we're dealing with a housing shortage, right? And it's this housing shortage from the lower working class. It's like, you know, the lower middle class to the upper lower class. And we're looking at rents of 700 to $1,000 mark where there's a tremendous housing shortage. And we thought, well, if we can cure this problem to at least a certain percentage in our local market, that would be great. And we came across a quality inn, mom and pop owned 100 units we bought this deal for 30 cents on the dollar. We got a 70% discount. Wow. And yeah, I mean, just an amazing deal. 
at first we said, yay, we're going to have 100 studios, though. But then we said, oh, wait a minute, our property manager put us in check and said, nope, nope, the small tertiary market in Arizona can't absorb 100 studios. So that means knocking out doors and combining rooms. And what we're left with is 31 one-bedrooms, 31 studios, and about, you know, two or three, uh, it's at three, three uh, two-bedrooms because they were suites. So hotels are really, really fun. You can get them at such a great rate. There's some landmines, though, and I'll be happy to go over those if you'd like. But there's some real landmines in these deals. Yeah, why don't you share a couple landmines? Yeah, everybody loves hearing about, you know, missteps or falters or whatnot. And learning from other people's mistakes is certainly the best thing. So please, please. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. We'll do a whole nother podcast on that one, guys. (laughs) Yeah, you bet. So yeah, landmines in what to consider with hotels and big things that are going to cost you money. First, start out with your zoning. So can you even turn this into a multifamily? A lot of hotels are zoned for hotels. Some are zoned for hotels and multifamily. In our case, tertiary market in Arizona, it was both. So that was nice. It was just an over-the-counter permit. Another investor friend of ours was converting a hotel in Phoenix. And the city said, Okay, well, you can do that, but it will cost you, you know, $500,000 to put in a new road. Zoning comes with strings attached, just so you know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that was, he said, you know, half a million bucks and two fire hydrants he needed to put in to get that zoning permit. Many people hire zoning consultants to do this because it can be quite complex. We got lucky. That's one landmine you got to watch out for. Franchise. In hotels, you need to buy out the franchise. Your days in, your quality in. Those costs can run anywhere from 35000 to 150000 depending on what franchise you're working with. It's imperative to get that set before you buy the hotel because you don't want to be in the hotel business. And if you can't buy out of the franchise, <laughs> you're running a hotel. <laughs> and then probably the biggest landmine in hotels are the fire. Strangely enough, many of these hotels don't have a lot of fire sprinklers, if any because they don't have kitchens in them. Often the sheetrock in these hotels are a lot thinner than what's required in multifamily due to fire risk. So we had spent $200,000 just putting in fire sprinklers, and we had to put in a fire hydrant as well, and it can get very expensive. So just think with hotels, anything that they can call out as far as fire risk, they will. Some hotels are converted to assisted living centers in Florida, And they want even more things in Florida on the fire risk side because it takes a a longer time to get these elderly people out of the building. And I think what they require is either higher velocity sprinklers or more of them, knowing it's going to take much longer to get them out. That is great information to have. And it sounds very interesting. Yeah, that is definitely kind of a different business than, you know, just buying up like multifamily units and renting them out. If you don't mind me asking, like, how did you find yourself getting into this conversion business or what kind of intrigued you about it? Well, I like deep value ads, in case you haven't noticed. Uh (laughs) (laughs) That's been apparent. (laughs) We did notice. (laughs) I think I just like the challenge of it all. It's conquering. (laughs) It's conquering these buildings. Yeah. So I love that aspect of it. And there's, you know, there's a lot of money in that. Not a lot of operators want to deal with this. So if you can align yourself with really heavy lift, deep value add operators that know their stuff, there's a lot of money to be made there. 
And then as far as how I came upon it, it's just being in the business and knowing a lot of sponsors doing different things. Yeah, and that was a sponsor that is specializes in deep value ads. They've been in business for 18 years. And these guys would take condemned buildings and bring them up to speed. So a hotel conversion wow. was easy for them. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree with you with the heavy, heavy lifts. I mean, there's there's definitely more risk in that, you know, just talking about the fire hydrants or, you know, what the city's going to say. And, you know, along with that, there should be a lot more reward too. You know, it's like that, that risk reward kind of aspect. So, you know, that's, you're that's right. The, yeah. I mean, it's true. I mean, these deep value ads buckle up, boy, it's a <laughs> lot of work. <laughs> There's a lot of things that can go wrong. You need to put on your patient's hat and your investors need to know it's going to be no cash flow for 18 months. And the operator must be very experienced yeah. and have lots of contacts there. And, you know, you just have to go in with the right expectations. But yes, I much prefer these deep value ad deals because there's so much more money in at the end. And it's a big gratification to see that you're really changing communities and converting the supplying housing they didn't have, which goes back to these fundamentals of investing, right? We're in this for the financial side, of course the tax benefits, there's the social side of this, that we're improving communities. We've bought, brought 65 units of well-needed housing from the 700 to $1,000 rent mark in that market that desperately needed it. And also then there's the you know environmental impact and that we're putting in water-efficient, low-flush toilets and energy-efficient faucets. And so you check those boxes too, you know, financial, improving communities, as well as doing your best for the environment. Pretty awesome stuff. So Becca, I think that we are towards the end. We're ready for our last four questions. AJ, why don't you kick us off with the first of the four? You bet. All right. What's one piece of advice you would give to your 25-year-old self? Oh boy. My advice would be stop climbing the corporate ladder and make a plan to step off the corporate ladder. We get that answer <laughs> relatively like, often. I like it's like, start, start now. Yeah. yeah, don't start wait. Now. Start now. Start now. Start now. Yeah, yeah. All right. And our second question, what was your first entrepreneurial endeavor? Oh, boy, I'll be completely dating myself with this, but I had a paper route. I was one of those paper route girls. And this actually had two paper routes and they were for papers that were like voluntary papers. So you had to, you know, it was an optional donation. So I had to go to the door and convince people why they should, I delivered their paper and they should pay me. And they said, we didn't subscribe to this paper. Well, it doesn't matter. You read it, didn't it? Didn't you? Well, so. <laughs> wow. It sounds like a bit of sales in that yeah. endeavor. <laughs> Tough sales job. <laughs> Tough sales for a 14-year-old, right? <laughs> Oh, man. That's a uh, good one. I like it. I like it. All right. How has your formal and informal training shaped your journey? Well, I think my formal training with, you know, 18 years in the corporate world has really shaped my journey in looking at things in an efficiency standpoint in the processes, all the things they bang into your head in the corporate world. That has helped to some degree. My informal training, I would have to say, I think I've learned more in that. 
I've learned more in the school of hard knocks and my passive deal gone sideways and my San Francisco building, my heavy lift there that I had no idea what the heck I was doing, but it turned out because I was in a rising market really and you hold it for long enough. So my informal training, I think, has been more valuable of the two. The school of hard knocks is how we all seem to really learn our lessons quite. You don't forget them. Yeah. 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 And it's good with that because, you know, opportunities are born. My business here in kind of a boutique real estate investing firm for my investors came out of my deal going bad as a passive investor. So the need for someone to represent our investors and, and have a seat at the table. So it's it all works out in the end. Pretty cool. Okay. Well, you did mention your passive deal that went sideways, but what do you think is your biggest mistake? And what did you learn from that mistake? My biggest mistake? Well, I bought a building in Kansas City on a short sale. Okay, don't laugh. It was a deep value add. <laughs> Shocker. <Whoa>. Shocker. <laughs> this is Shocker. So normal. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, you know, what I learned from that, and probably my biggest mistake is investing, was buying something with a very marginal cash flow, a lower amount of units, like a 12 unit, with a couple hundred bucks a month cash flow. Well, the moment that you have, you know, one or two people move out, you're in a negative cash flow position. And it's really hard to resuscitate that. You just bring someone else in and then another person moves out. And it's kind of like a whack-a-mole type of investment. So a lot learned there. And that was probably my least successful investment. What I always do say, though, is what saves investors is a rising market. And that, at the time, Kansas City was a rising market. So I bought for 250 and sold three years later for 300,000. Mm -hmm. But it's the money bleed along the way that was the painful part. The appreciation happened, but the cash flow was too marginal and the unit size was too small. You didn't have the economies of scale or any of the efficiencies that you can put forth in multifamily buildings of 50 and over. Well, Becca, it's been an absolute pleasure. You know, I still have tons of questions. And I'm sure that our listeners do too. So do you want to share your contact information if anyone wants to get in touch with you, maybe to hear more about your passive investment that went sideways or any of <laughs> any other gems that they might be interested to know about? I would love to. That's so funny. Everybody really wants to hear the war stories, right? It's a funny thing with humans and we do that. Yeah, I would be happy. Anybody has any questions on, you know, just journey or need some deals vetted for you, or even if you have any interest in leaving it all behind and moving move to another country, on, right? <laughs> moving to another country, picking up your family with school age children and moving to another country and live off passive income. I'm here to tell you, you can do it. And it's not as hard as you think. I have a free guide, easy read written by yours truly. So it's called Six Steps to Put Your Income on Autopilot and Move Overseas. And you can find that at hintinvestments.com. That's hintinvestments with an S.com. Or you could find me anywhere on LinkedIn, Becca Hint. Awesome, Becca. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. And like I can tell you that both of us are very jealous of your background <laughs> and where you're at right now. And you know, I think that probably a lot of our listeners want to be in your situation, but 
we appreciate you taking the time to talk with us and sharing with our listeners and just want to say oh you guys it's been such a pleasure congratulations too i mean you are living the dream yeah guys right you know nothing good happens in your comfort zone right you've got to Mm -hmm. move out of your comfort zone to have growth no growth happens in your comfort zone if you're not uncomfortable a bit you're not growing so yeah, just know that anybody can do this. I'm here to tell you that anybody can do this. It's not as hard as you think. But you guys do such a great job. I've really enjoyed our time. You're both so fun. Thank you so much for having me. It's really been a pleasure to share the story with your audience. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you, Becca. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast on WIN, your community of investing knowledge for growth. We hope that this episode has increased your knowledge and added value to your path to freedom. If you would, please take a second to rate us so that we can get more great investors to interview. If you or someone that you know wants to be on, please visit westsideinvestors.com and fill out our form to be on the show. Thank you again and enjoy your day.